This is FinTech Takes, the podcast keeping you in the loop on all the latest FinTech trends, news, and ideas. I'm Alex Johnson, creator of the FinTech Takes newsletter, your host and self-confessed FinTech nerd. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to a very special mini-series here at FinTech Takes, a series that we're calling Killing It. This is a podcast that my friend Jason Henricks of Alloy Labs and Breaking Banks and I decided to do because we were tired of only hearing stories in entrepreneurship about success, about things going up and to the right. When in fact, the vast majority of entrepreneurial experiences don't go that well. Normally, they end a little bit in a whimper rather than a bang. Sometimes you have to shut down your company. Sometimes you have to find an exit. Uh, or sometimes you personally just have to step away from something that you've dedicated a large chunk of your life to. This podcast is about those stories. Our first episode uh, features just me and Jason talking about the series. And uh, Jason, who was a co-founder of Perk Street, one of the very first neobanks in the world, uh, sharing some of his observations from his experience going through that shutdown process of what it felt like, and then teeing up the rest of the series where we're going to talk to entrepreneurships across fintech. Some you know, some you don't, where we're going to talk about their failures and what they learned killing it. So please enjoy. Alex, thanks for joining me on the new series. Uh, I'd like to say I'm excited about it, but maybe pensive is a better word. You know, mm. we, we hear so much about the unicorns and everything in a world that went up and to the right. I think you know, 2023 was a great realization that everything does not go up and to the right. And yes. I would say 2024 is a realization there is no silver lining per se that you know everything is guaranteed a soft landing and so you know if, if we talk about you know how i built this you know this is kind of the antithesis of how i built this this is how i did not build this this is how i failed this this is how i you know crushed this or is you know <laughs> where we got the title for this is this is how i killed it actually yes. you know dan o'malley and i back in the day when perk street was a high flyer and the reality was our investors were walking away and everyone was like how's it going and we like we're killing it. Yep. Literally, we're killing it is what it's <laughs> we're saying inside. Like, like literally the business is dying because of a series of choices we're being forced to make. Totally. But we struggled to say that. So this is this is the podcast on uh entrepreneurs who are gonna come in and talk about tough decisions, you know, that they've yes. made. Come lay down on our virtual couch. Yes, yes. No, I mean, uh, you and I are not uh, licensed therapists, but I think we do recognize that there is sort of this unhealthy uh, sort of um, vibe in the the fintech ecosystem, which is particularly coming out of 2020 and 2021, when I've compared it to like, when you play Mario and you'd get a star and you could just run through the level and just bash through whatever objects were in your way and like, nothing could stop you or slow you down. You're like, I'm amazing at Mario. I mean, entrepreneurship generally, it's not like that most of the time, right? And in particular, in the waters that we swim in and in fintech with, you know, venture capital investors and people looking for unicorns and big exits, like that's a high stakes game where there's a high rate of failure, right? And I think that um, so much of what we see uh, just sort of shared publicly, and, you know, this is what I see on Twitter, this is like the kind of discourse that I see a lot is, well, here's how you get to peak performance. Here's what success looks like. Here's how you have to grind away. And 
The other side of that is, you know, what does it feel like when you've been grinding away and doing all the things you're supposed to do, quote unquote, to build a great startup? And then for reasons that, you know, have to do with the choices you made, but also reasons that have to do with just the broader environment and timing and luck and all these random things, what does it feel like to grind away and then get to the end and you didn't get to where you wanted or where you did kill the thing that you were trying to build or you do have to deliver terrible news to, you know, your co-founder or your early employees who believed in you? Like, what does that feel like? And how do you bounce back from that? I mean, I think those are the questions we're we're trying to answer. And I think the thing that's cool about fintech is, and this is what we're going to be hopefully exploring in this series, there are a lot of awesome people who have these type of stories, right? You have this story with Perk Street. There's a whole bunch of other folks in the industry who've gotten knocked down to the mat multiple times and have gotten back up and can explain to us like in detail, in pain, what that feels like and what it takes to kind of walk away from that. You know, I get quite a few you know DMs or people who have my email reach out to talk about this, and they do feel yeah. like they're alone. And I'll be yeah. honest, like the the story I told coming out of Perk Street was not one hundred percent the reality. You know, just sure. ki- killing it was factually correct. We were killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the reinvention piece of it, because there was so much shame associated with having. Totally. You know, been you know so publicly um you know meteoric rise and then mm-hmm. you know little known fact i don't know that everyone knows this but you find it if you google the somewhat buried one of our big partners was dave ramsey um mm. which i got a whole other you know set of stories to be telling about that one but you know he went so far when we were in the sales process and we kept him abreast you know, he went on his radio show, like him or not, has quite mm-hmm. a following. Oh, yeah. He called Dan and I uh, sl- uh, slime bags mm. and that we deserve to be dead, which yeah. also made, you know, for you know a pretty interesting response. We had to actually hire security uh, oh, man. at Park Street uh, yeah. at the door because we had rabid followers who turned more rabid than Yeah, fans. yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and it's interesting when you think about the rebirth, I don't often share this. I don't think I've ever put it on camera publicly. So one year at Dave's holiday party, he gave me, see here's zoom in, oh. a D. Ramsey uh, special. He had a cask of Blanton's and mm. knew I love my bourbon, you mm-hmm. know, done. And you will note this has not been opened, right? Yep. It's not been digested, but it has sat on my desk now for eight years. Mm-hmm. I call it my FU Dave Ramsey bottle mm-hmm. of bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that bottle of bourbon all the time and I say, you know, I don't know what success it is or mm-hmm. when I'm at the end of the journey that I'm actually going to open this and have a drink. But mm-hmm. I've proven to myself I can claw my way back. And I totally. think that's part of the message. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, I think that, you know, to to add to that, I mean, one of the things that people don't talk about a lot with this stuff is there's a lot of like vulnerability associated with this, right? Because, and I, I felt a version of this, you know, with fintech takes, but there's something very scary about saying, you know, this is an idea I have for a thing that should exist. Like the world should be different in this specific way. And like, Pursuing that idea, pushing that idea out there, you know, getting 
like really, really aggressive in your case with Dave Ramsey pushback on this vision that you have for the world, you know, it not again working out or things not going exactly the way that you had anticipated. And it's funny, you know, I mean, failure looks different to everybody, right? I mean, I I have definitely talked to founders, and I'm sure you have too, where they ended up getting acquired. Financially, they did okay. Their employees ended up at a new place with stable employment. And they feel like a failure because like the thing they had in mind was a different exit or was going public or was doing something else. And so I think in a lot of cases, and this is something I'm looking forward to exploring in this series, like what were your expectations going into this? And how did reality and those expectations smash into each other? Because, you know, feeling like a failure, feeling that shame is a lot of times a function as much of our expectations as it is about anything else. Yeah. The expectation setting, I think, is an important part. One of the guests we have coming up to tease out storied um, bio, when you Mm. look at the products and companies he has been involved in. And yet one of the things he shares as we were prepping, asking him to be on the series, was each time letting go of that, how difficult it was. Yeah. And it, it makes me think the analogy you know, almost of letting go of like a part of your life, whether it be mm-hmm. like the letting go of college, that was a period or the post-college or relationships or friendships, right? Like there's a sense of loss in one of the consistent Absolutely. themes that is cu- or words that has come up as we've been doing prep for this is whether it's an exit, a good exit or a bad exit, whether it is exiting, but the company goes on mm-hmm. is the grieving process. Yes. That goes with this. Yep. Yeah, no. Well, and I think that the the other concept that's tied right into that that you just hit on really well, I like the analogy of like when you're in college, you know, as an example, you build your identity around this stuff, right? And I think that um, it's not it's not at all unhealthy, I don't think, to like wrap your identity around what you're doing or what you're trying to build or what you're trying to accomplish. And it does feel like a part of your life and a, like a phase of your life because, again, talking these entrepreneurship stories, you know, you're you're eating at Subway every night because you're literally trying to scrimp and save every last dollar and like preserve this like time in your life. And that's like really resonant. It becomes a part of like who you are. And, you know, much like any other type of loss that you have to grieve, like part of it is you're grieving a change in your identity and sort of how you conceive of yourself. And so I think it is so interesting. And I I am looking forward in this series to talking to people who are at different stages of that, right? Because we're going to be talking to serial entrepreneurs who've been through this a lot of times and have a lot of scar tissue build up. We're going to be talking to folks who uh, walked away from companies that are still uh, doing well and are still in business because just personally for them, they couldn't kind of continue along that path any longer. We'll talk to people who've been through their first failure from an entrepreneurship perspective, and that's still like a very fresh wound. And everyone has sort of a different... Uh, sort of experience based on where they are in that journey, kind of letting go of those identities. Yeah. I mean, I wish you and I had had this conversation eight years ago, because I feel like it would have been helpful to realize how much of the loss that I was feeling was that loss of identity. Yeah. And we did a double whammies that my wife wanted to get out of Boston. We moved back to the Midwest to a place where like, right. literally knew no one. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of who would worked with and the upside people didn't know the backstory, but 
but I also felt yeah. like a person without an identity. Like, totally. My identity yeah. was my golden retriever. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You're sort of like, you're like clinging to these last things that can be a part of your identity while trying to build something new. And I'm glad you mentioned the moving thing, actually, because that's the other thing that uh, hopefully will kind of come up or that we can explore in this series a bit. But I'm actually fascinated by how entrepreneurship and location are sort of connected to each other and maybe becoming somewhat unmoored from each other. Because, you know, I think for many founders, their experience founding a company is really tied to a place, right? San Francisco, New York, Boston, you know, wherever. But also, I mean, this is a a legacy of coming out of 2020 and 2021. We're seeing a lot more kind of remote work or hybrid companies or starting up in kind of interesting locations. And, you know, talk about like feeling lost or feeling like lonely. I mean, at least when you were starting a company sort of in the old world where everyone was in the same room, which still a lot of people do, like at least there's sort of a bonding experience there. I can't imagine starting a a company now and being remote and just sitting like alone in an office. So there's, there's all these layers to the experience of going through this and, and how it's kind of changed. And I, I can't wait to unpack that. Yeah. Well, and compound that with the number of solopreneurs is I think back to early, First in my entrepreneurial, then VC journey, and back to entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. almost always you had a founding team. Mm-hmm. And so more often now, especially I think things started in ZERP where mm. money would flow to an individual or you might have a founding team, but it really was a founder in somewhat of a team. Like I can't imagine going through Park Street again without like Dan. Like totally his daughter who's now old enough to joke about it used to assume anytime he was on the phone late at night, like he was talking to me because like, that's what we did. And it was not only the strategic and tactical, but it was the, how do we weather this? Yes. Yes. No. I mean, and, and I think that that's a really, really good point about just the, the experience that you go through and even like, I mean, another element to this that I'm fascinated by, and this kind of is a contrast between the Zerp years and now that we're sort of out of those, but you know, the idea of like bootstrapping versus raising money. Right. And I, I talk to lots of founders all the time who will describe different parts of the entrepreneurial journey really differently, right? And so they'll talk about, oh yeah, when we were building the product or when we were talking to users, it was like amazing and it was it was hard, and it was stressful, but it was so energizing. And then they'd be like, and then we had to go into fundraising mode. And like, that's a totally different, like it's like downshifting almost. And, you know, it was super stressful and, you know, we had to go talk to investors and we weren't sure what the right timing was and we were trying to time the market. And so I think the other part of this that's so hard is, to your point, there are all of these different ways of doing it, right? There's not like one playbook for building a business. And the decisions that you have to live with are, and we're going to talk to some other folks about some of these hard decisions, you know, at the time, our thinking was, oh, you know, the environment is X, we can raise whenever, everything's going great, we just want to stay heads down. But with the benefit of hindsight, turns out that that was exactly the wrong decision. But like, you know, again, even for serial entrepreneurs, there's no way in the moment to know which one of those decisions are going to be good and which are going to be bad. You just have to live with them in in retrospect, which is really hard. Even if you've done it before, you know, totally. history is no um, secret roadmap for what the right decision is the next time. I do, I do think we 
discounted the value of experience in thinking mm-hmm. through these things, but it's not perfect. Um, no, and, and and actually, maybe the shame might be even more for someone who's been through it a couple of times and then still kills it and and finds out that like, wow, you know, as much as I thought I had learned about this experience. Turns out, yeah, like entrepreneurship is hard every single time you do it, and experience isn't a perfect guide to what to do in the future. Yeah. And I feel this so often now relegated to the investor role and yeah. you know, advisor role with CEOs and coming and saying, you know, thinking through this decision, what should we do? It mm-hmm. still gives me that moment of kind of panic, right? Like I'm not the one who ultimately <laughs> has to live with the decision, but just how right. hard it is. Oh, yeah. But those begin to feel like life and death. And I think that becomes particularly painful mm. when you're facing decisions that you know could ultimately lead to death. You know, I, I think the one that Absolutely. every entrepreneur and you know, especially first-time entrepreneurs wrestle with is downsizing, getting budgets yeah. right. Yep. Um, it's hard, you know, especially yep. people who've given so much to get you where you are. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 I think that's a really good one where it's like and I, I've been through this a few times personally, you know, it's not necessarily the fault of anyone, right? Like it's always easier when there's like a very clear, like, oh, we're gonna do this because you screwed up. And like, like that's that's a very different uh experience. And it's tough, but like you can probably live with it. The one that's really hard is having to tell people who gave everything for your business and your idea, who did everything that you asked and did it well it's not going to work right and like that that's and a lot of times the reason it's not going to work is because of a decision that i made where i screwed something up and so i i think you're absolutely right like the the weight of responsibility being in this type of role is just incredibly hard and something that again we don't talk about we glorify the upsides to it right and there are really fun parts i mean i'm sure you had a lot of those experiences at perk street too like when you're riding high it absolutely feels amazing. You know, it's funny, it kind of reminds me a little bit, and you and I talk about this a lot offline, but the the entrepreneurship journey feels a lot like parenting, I think, in a way where it's like, because I don't know if you remember this, because I know you your kids are now a little bit older and like, you know, you, your brain sort of causes you to forget these things. But I remember when we brought home our our eldest son from the hospital, that first night, like the level of sheer panic you feel where it's like, I am responsible for keeping this thing alive and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like it, it's it's a it's a magical experience in a way. And so you can sort of understand how people get addicted to entrepreneurship or in my case, having more kids, you know, but like there is something sort of cool about like that level of responsibility and that level of engagement. But man, is it stressful. It's interesting thinking about the parenting piece of this. Yeah. It is, the challenge isn't just the baby. The challenge is the number of stakeholders you have invested so in true. the baby in the expectation. Who are giving you advice on like, hey, you know, uh, I used to have kids. This is the grandparents. And like, um, you know, that's not how we did it. Or are you sure you want to do that? And it's like, I know you want the best. I know you're just like, you're invested in this round and like, you just want to see this uh, company succeed. But like, could you back off and just let me do this? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that comes up all the time. Yeah, with my luck, this will be like the episode my mother decides to listen. Or my <laughs> I say like, you know, in right before COVID, we moved to Minnesota into my parents' basement while we looked for a house and then did a oh, renovation. Sure. And there's nothing like raising children 
like under your mother's nose. I've never had that experience and I, I hopefully never will. That sounds intense. Right. And I think we see this online and in person when mm. people talk about the struggles, mm-hmm. the challenge becomes the like, are you going to get the like, wouldn't say totally. you're doing it wrong, but you're like, totally. what? what did I do? I can da- yes. I can tell you're not happy. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you what to do. I'm just saying. Well, and, and and the analogy is a really good one, actually, between sort of the grandparents and the the investors, because the other problem is the investors are who they are because they probably succeeded, right? They probably built a great company, had a great exit, like they have a great track record. And so as a founder, I'm sure you look at it and go, like when you go that sound like, oh God, like maybe I am screwing up and like, maybe like they clearly know what they're doing. And I feel this way, I mean, sort of egotistical, but I feel this way with my parents because like, I'm awesome and my parents raised me. And so like, like clearly they have a track record of raising great humans. And so like, if I'm screwing something up, like I don't want to do that. So there, there is this like weird pressure that you feel from that larger ecosystem to say nothing of the fact. And I, I promise I won't stretch the parenting analogy too far, but like one other point on this is, there is a broader industrial complex wrapped around all of this, right? Which is from a parenting perspective, like how to not screw up your kids, how to not raise assholes. Like there's all these like sort of like larger forces putting pressure on you. And I see that same thing with entrepreneurship and, you know, tech startups and, you know, just like the the industrial complex of performance coaches and, you know, advice from, you know, sort of thought leaders in quotes on Twitter about how to build companies and how to build businesses and all the things you're doing wrong. And so to the extent that you can like drown out the noise immediately around you, there's still a broader ecosystem that's putting like a ton of pressure on you for how to do things the right way. Yeah. And fleshing out that ecosystem that can be hard, admitting to your friends, family, to your spouse, that mm. the thing that you sacrificed so much for wasn't going to come to fruition. Yeah. I, I think, and then like, let's keep layering on. You have to let employees know. You have to yes. let angels know who wrote the first checks for you, some of which mm-hmm. you may be related to. Yep. Um, you know, my uh, uncle slash godfather was the first angel check I ever received back mm-hmm. in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, for a good 20 years, uh, every year on my birthday, I got a card from him saying, I would have given you money, but you already lost some. And, <laughs> like It was not as much as, you know, he himself was a successful entrepreneur. He got it. And it was tongue in yeah. cheek, but you know, yeah. like you felt that weight. Oh, for and, sure. You, know, you have to tell your investors. And, you know, they might be professional investors, meaning they have somebody else's money they're investing, Mm -hmm. but it's still hard. And I do see a tendency on all of these fronts. And Mm -hmm. we'll have Matt Harris of Bloom Credit on at some point to talk about, you know, him leaving Bloom and what he's doing now with coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, entrepreneurs around this is the tendency is to kind of like jump on the ball and hope, you know, like you recover from it versus like those hard truths. And it's actually the absolute wrong thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. I can tell you from experience, both mm-hmm. my own and hearing from others is you actually need that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot healthier, not only as an individual, but I think you'll realize the people that uh, rally to you mm-hmm. and are so- more supportive than you might expect might actually get you mm-hmm. um, in the right place. 
Yeah, no, and I I think I mean just to sort of uh, end on a sort of up note because some of the stuff is is pretty uh, pretty intense, and we'll be we'll be talking to folks who are going to share hopefully some stuff that's you know pretty personal and um, in some cases you know big challenges that people have been going through. But I do think we are also hoping to highlight like what that looks like when you find out people who are really truly invested in you and not just like your business or trying to get a good return on their investment or, you know, finding employees that you had who follow you to the next company and the next company after that and the next company after that. And I think there are a lot of those really cool stories that come out of this that again, like they, they're not shared because they're part of a larger story about failure, but there's some of the most meaningful parts of your life over time are the, the you know the people that you find during failure and the the lessons that you learn from that. So I think we're going to try to to highlight those as well. And you know hopefully hopefully this is a pro entrepreneurship pro trying new things and getting off the mat podcast at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Well, I mean it's about the rebirth, and that rebirth exactly. is, doesn't necessarily mean another successful startup, right? Or an exit or, you know, an Amanda Payton, hey, you know, let's, you know, pick let's up do this again from the ashes, mm-hmm. literally, you know, pick it up and, tr- you know, reinvent the business itself. I mean, mm-hmm. the number of times that I've thought, oh, you know, should I do Park Street 2.0? And then, yeah, you know, dismiss it. That isn't necessarily the path, but some of the journeys we'll have on are people who walked away from entrepreneurship altogether that, and are, and are happier know, for it. Right. Yeah. Right. And not everyone needs to be a founder. Not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone needs to work within fintech. That's not a failure. But no. I do think the entrepreneurial journey is one that many people do benefit from. If you, well, it, it it teaches you something, right? Like whether you stay in it or not, you learn something from it. Yeah, it, exactly. And I think the what I would love to come of this series is a safe place for people to share that journey and for the listeners to think through and go, Oh, I'm not alone in doing that. The yeah. failure failure is to stuff it, to not want to deal with it, to let yeah. it affect my physical health, my mental health, my relationships, the, what I do next, do I mm-hmm. fall out of the ecosystem altogether? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I feel like people are judging me mm-hmm. and how, you know, the approach, um, you know, it, it's timely because I just listened to it this morning um, the podcast of the guy who wrote the subtle art of not giving an F yep. and you know, one of his life lessons, he said that he thinks everyone needs to learn is other people spend far less time thinking about you than you do. The spotlight effect, right? Where it's right, like, you feel effect. like, you feel like everything is falling on you. I, I will tell you that was one of the greatest revelations that I had in my life was when that I finally figured that out. And of course it came like at the end of high school and I could have used it way before that. But like there, there are these moments where you realize, you know, and, and you have to, you have to go through it. You have to come out the other side of it and go, you know what? Like I failed, the world didn't end. Um, you know, people aren't judging me based on this one thing that happened. In fact, a lot of times, you know, I think you come out of these experiences depending on how you handle them. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of these stories better off, right? With a better reputation, with like lasting relationships. And, you know, I I think one thing I'm I'm really curious to ask some of the the entrepreneurs that we have on this series is what are decisions that you don't regret, even though they didn't work out, right? Because like a lot of times, I think with with particularly 
these sort of early early stage companies and and building these things, you're sort of forced between choosing to do the thing that you think is the right thing to do versus the thing that might have slightly higher odds of keeping your company alive or stretching things out or whatever. And those are incredibly difficult decisions. And I I would just, I'm so looking forward to hearing about how people sort of think about those decisions in retrospect and how they wrestled with them. Because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell people there's a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it, but how you live with it is the thing I'm really curious about. At the end of my first entrepreneurial journey, and you know, a lot of lessons learned that I don't think most people know. So co-founded a company uh, at 27 in biotech in the late 90s when biotech wasn't a thing and young founders weren't a thing. Lesson <laughs> learned, um, uh, founding a company with two brothers who are exceedingly close, like puts you in the middle of mm. battles that they've been having since they were five and six years old together. Yep, uh, yep. Like physical wrestling was not an uncommon occurrence in the halls of U.S. <laughs> genomics. And it was actually Brad Feld had recommended um, someone they worked really closely with, a, a management consultant, management consultants, as in consulted to management around leadership mm. development mm-hmm. uh, by the name of Artemis Joukowsky. And this has stuck with me. So this is how many years later, you know, 35 years. I don't actually want to yeah, yeah, how yeah. long that is. Um, but one of the big things he brought up around company culture, and it's true of all relationships. I think when you worry about, will people work with me again? Will they invest in me again? Will they partner with me again? Yeah. If I, in my perception, fail now because it doesn't yes. go the way I wanted. Mm-hmm. And what he said was, here's what defines life. It is the promises you make, the promises you keep, and more importantly, what happens when you have to remake or ask for forgiveness for promises mm. that have been broken. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. And it's one thing, and I think you and I will find this when we were kind of progressing through this series, I'm blown away constantly by just how small the fintech industry is, right? And I, I talk to people all the time about this, where it's like, the more deeply you get sort of embedded in the ecosystem, the more you realize you just keep running into the same people and you keep talking about the same stories. And like, and I think this is true everywhere. Like these these ecosystems where great things get built are really small. And the currency of those ecosystems is relationships, to your point. And so like the relationship aspect to all of this, particularly contrasted with like how lonely the process is, I'm I'm really interested to explore because I think that's extremely well said. I mean, at the end of the day, will people work with you again? Will people work for you again? Will they jump off that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial cliff with you again? Will they invest in your company again? It all is a function of those relationships, much more so than like, was it profitable or not? That's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, there are, as an investor, companies that have made money for me. And I will never invest in again. Back to the how totally. you you know you manage the relationship. You may, you may have you know, generated a return on my investment, but the journey was not worth it. Yes, and there are others that have lost money that I don't even need to know what you want to go do. I'm happy to right. like write a check because totally. of how you handled that. Yep, yep, exactly. No, and I I think that uh, again, and we'll be 
talking to folks who've been on this treadmill for a long time and are repeat entrepreneurs who keep going at it, I'm curious to talk to them about how that advantage compounds over time. Because I think the overall goal you have, particularly if you're going to stick in entrepreneurship for a while, is you want to create unfair advantages for yourself over time. And I think compounding value of relationships is such an unfair advantage for people in the space. And if you're starting your entrepreneurship journey or you're thinking about, hey, this isn't going well, I'm going to have to unwind this first, you know, go at it, it's not going to work out. The choices you make about how you manage those relationships, these are the seeds of those compounding advantages that you're going to build over time, regardless of what you do next. Absolutely. So for anyone who's listening, if you have a story you would like to hear told, um, you know, drop it in the show notes, respond on Twitter, DM us. If mm-hmm. you have a story you'd like to tell yourself about that journey, or even just a question, you know, to ask either specific people or, you know, us to poll, you mm-hmm. know, welcome, lay down on the psychologist couch here and, you know, let's have a therapy session about FinTech in the new era. That's right. We have plenty of room on the couch. So uh, we hope that you will join us. <laughs> plenty of room. Uh, thanks for being part of the journey with me here, Alex. Yes, sir. I feel better already. (laughs) Me too. Thank you for listening to this episode of FinTech Takes. Stay up to date with emerging companies and the latest FinTech trends by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love FinTech Takes, please tell a friend.